tell you a lie. And so it is with uh, shaky knees that I wander into this today. And at the end of at the end of this today, if you don't have questions, you should have, because this is deep water that we're starting to wade in in the book of Hebrews. Now, Melissa told me, who is this amazing woman who says, I'll help you any way I can. I need all the help she can give me to do this. And so she said that God has promised he won't take us until he has taught us everything he has to teach us. So I should make it through this because I have no idea how this goes. All right. Um, we're going to read. We're going to read chapter three, which is going to remind us where we stand. This is our bottom line, and then we're going to have a review so we can remember what we're learning. I hope that for all of us, this is fluid. This is a place of fluidity, that God is moving things around in us, and He is strengthening those things that are His truth on the bottom line. Uh, Please stand, because I love that when we do it. I read in my Old Testament reading this week that that's what the Israelites did. They stood when they they were in the hearing of the law. So we're going to stand and read together the word. Here we go. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you. And the unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, and yet rebelled. 
Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And whom he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that not enter his rest, but to those who were eight? So we see that they were Amen. Have a seat. Okay, here we go. We're going to do a review first, and we're going to talk about the who, what, when, where, why. We are talking to Jewish Christians and seekers. Can't believe I used that word. But nevertheless, they were either seekers or followers and Christians, etc. It is a letter by an unknown author. We don't know. There are many guesses. Um, We're doing, at Open Door, we're doing the book of Luke for the next few months. And um, Caleb said that, That book is written in classic Greek form. That's one of the comments that's been made about the book of Hebrews. Maybe it was Luke. Um, It was written between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection around 33 A.D. and 70 A.D. And if you can remember your ancient world history, that was a very tumultuous time in the world because of... um, Nero, also the, the Jews who were ruling in their own place um, were persecuting the church just like they were when Jesus was in his ministry. It was probably an urban church congregation, probably Jerusalem. And the apostasy was because of persecution. So that takes us down through the, to, okay, you guys are just going to have to let me catch my, kind of my breath here. Thank you, Marcia. The author starts with a powerful premise. See, this is what I can't do. I can't read this and look at that. Oh, well. The author starts with the powerful premise of all he purposes to say, that Jesus crucified and risen, ascended into heaven with a commission to his followers and a promise he will return, is the very Son of God, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Then the author begins to systematically unpack the evidence. He said God spoke through the prophets and the fathers, and his last word Finally, in these days, he's spoken to us through his son. His son is the heir. That doesn't just mean he gets the money that's left over after the father spends what he needs. It means everything that the father has belongs to the son. Then it goes into this amazing, mind-stretching thing that he was creator. He not only was creator 
which John, 1 John 1, 1 says. He is the powerful sustainer of all that is. Now, my strength was in, you know, the fine arts. It was not in science. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, I wish I had remembered more that I learned in some of my science classes, both in high school and college, because that verse would make a whole lot more difference to me than I can kind of get my little head around now. He sustains everything. It used to be that protons and neutrons were the smallest element. Now they're smaller things than that. He created the universe, and he created the universes that are yet undiscovered. I love that. You know what I personally believe? I believe when we get to heaven, in our position as learners and lovers and followers of Jesus, he is going to continue to teach us and reveal to us, and we will explore with him the things that he is creating because the creation of God continues to create. It's the nature, it's the nature of an eternal God. Then, after Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He made purification for all. All. When scripture says all, don't try to make it something else. The word is all. He made purification for all. He is the powerful sustainer for all that is. It was this son who is now seated at the right hand of God. That is the position of authority. What else have you learned about the right hand of God? Say, just say, I know you have. <laughs> what else did you learn? What's new about the right hand of God? What did we learn this summer? Leaders. Okay, power. What else? There's another thing. I couldn't remember it. I'm asking you for my information. Anyway, it's not just power. There is also a place. It's, it, it is a specific, what? It is a specific place of authority. Honor. And it, yes, okay. He is higher than the angels. Am I there? He has a better name. He is worshipped by the angels. If he was, if he's worshipped by the angels, how can he be? How can he not be higher than them? He is creator and master of the angels, and and someday the angels will serve us. Now they serve in a different capacity. Yes, I do believe in angels. He has an eternal throne that is anointed anointed with the Holy Spirit. He is unchangeable, and is seated at God's right hand. He has ushered in. The Old Testament, the First Testament, and now a New Testament displaces. It doesn't take the place of. Jesus said he did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And so it became the New Testament. It fulfilled every prophecy from Genesis to Malachi that God had said he would do. In the person of a redeemer. He did it. Now in chapter 3. We have 
been studying this week, that he is greater than Moses. Now, we are privileged to have, I think, maybe two or three um, Jewish women who study with us, and that is their background. But for the rest of us Gentiles, when we read that Jesus is greater than Moses, we're, it's kind of a no-duh. But I think that must have been shockingly, um, a shocking upheaval for those Jewish Christians and the ones who were part of this who had not really placed their whole faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, I am trying to figure out different ways to say some of the truths that I'm learning instead of the lingo that I've always known. It is not easy. <laughs> so you will hear me fall back into that a number of times today. Think your own, you know, put on your own thoughts into that. Okay, then jo- he's greater than Joshua because Joshua, at the end of chapter 3, because Joshua led them to a temporary p- place of rest. And Jesus leads, leads us to eternal rest. Now, this is the deal about the Israelites, I was thinking, and Joshua. So they had been in the desert all these years, all these years. They saw things with their eyes that we're not going to see till heaven. And when they arrived at the Jordan River and Joshua says, Moses had died because he couldn't go in the promised land either. So here they are at the Jordan River. God parts the Jordan. They walk across. And they were in the land that God had promised them. I'm pretty sure that felt completely, completely permanent. It needs to be said that not all of that land belongs to the nation of Israel currently. But God keeps his word. That's a place to watch. It's a place to watch. And when you hear it, go, hmm. We don't have to work it into a theological place to stand. But I'm telling you, we need to pay attention. So we're going to consider Jesus, who's the apostle and high priest of our confession. The second point we're going to look at is take care. Beware of a hardened heart, which is an unbelieving heart. The third one is encourage one another while it's still called today. So I want to go back to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This summer, I got so hung up on our confession. And I kept trying to put it in another box, I guess, that it didn't go. And I, I, I did not know what that meant. I knew I could make up something that might be kind of right. But you know how it is when God starts teaching you something? You want him to change your heart, not just your head. I have a very active full library in my head. And so I am, and I'm comfortable with words. Uh, With many words, there's always transgression. My husband reminds me, not enough. And so I can give you what may be part of an answer, but I don't want that. I want God to change my heart. So no kidding, we were going home on Sunday, and it's like, Lord, what does that mean? What is that, our, our confession? 
Do you know what he said to me in my thoughts? The Westminster, the Westminster uh, Catechism. And I said, okay, I need to, because then there's, you know how it is. You just sit there in a clear pond, and then the motion starts, and you know that God's spirit is about to do something. So I didn't end up with that um, old, old confession, but I ended up with the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was written about 150 years after Jesus went back to heaven, and it was not written by apostles. It was written as it is a product of that new church of believers. Those people, some of those people are the descendants, well, the descendants of, those people, when the Spirit of God descends on the upper room, and Peter, filled with the Spirit, preaches, and hundreds are saved. Okay, I'm using the word saved today, and I'm using the word born again. You know why? Those are biblical words. They are not, they are not, what's the word? Uh, they, don't, they are not denominational words. They are biblical words. And that's what happens when, we're, when we become new creatures in Christ. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Be calm. (laughs) That means the body of Christ. It is not a denomination. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins. the I hear you. I hear you say it. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Some of you are privileged to have learned that in the stream that you grew up in. Amen. That's my confession. I agree with that. My heart agrees with that, and I'm thankful for it. And I was thinking on Sunday when Stuart was preaching, this is the biggest deal, and I barely had time to sit with it. The law had a very clear process for families in the beginning. And the firstborn, firstborn son was given to God. They went to the temple on the eighth day, and the baby was circumcised. And an offering was made that also was specified. And a redemption price was paid. So you could take the baby home with you. And Jesus, his parents were poor, and King James says their offering was two turtle doves. But they did not redeem the baby because he belonged to the Lord. He belonged to the Lord. And at that moment, on earth as it was in heaven, he, he, he was starting to become our eternal high priest. who did not just 
go in and make the offering for ourselves. He himself became the offering that he offered in front of holy God for ourselves. Powerful, powerful stuff. So consider Jesus. We pushed that around a lot this summer. And I hope you've been considering Jesus. I hope you've been... You know, it takes a lot of courage to get past... What's it called in the ocean? Where the, you know, all the... Is it called breakwater? Breakers. It takes a lot of courage to push past that because in this place... It's what we've always thought we believed, didn't really know, didn't really know why. But until we push out through those breakers and get into the depth of the ocean, that's when we start to understand, we start to experience the ultimate, ultimate sufficiency of God. So if you looked on Google, I certainly hope you did, um, you found uh, a lot of different things. But there is none better than what I saw in our lesson this week. And John Piper says, consider Jesus. Know Jesus. Learn what kind of a person it is you say you trust and worship. Love, trust, and worship. I I love this so much. Soak in the shadow of Jesus. I bet you like that, Sue. That's sitting in the shadow of the cross. Saturate your soul with the ways of Jesus. Watch him. Listen to him. Stand in awe of him. Let him overwhelm you with the way he is. So how do we do that? Well, I think we decide to become a student. And there are different things. Just because you're in high school doesn't make you a high school student. It means you write, Stephanie. It means you go to high school. And it means you could keep up your grades and graduate and you never really became a student. I know that. But there are times that there is a uh, happening in your life. And on the way in this morning, I thought, that's a pretty good example. I happen to have an ability to play by ear. If I hear music, it comes out my fingers. And it's not practiced as much as it was used to be. But that's just the way it is. God did that. He gave me that gift. But for a long time, I thought, wasn't I cool? Because I could do that. I could listen to a song twice on the radio, and then I could play it for you. And you thought how great I was. So you can see how enmeshed that became with not only my identity, but my acceptance. Okay, so then meet Mr. Santee, the band director. In sixth grade, I played the alto saxophone. And I bluffed, I bluffed until one day he realized I could not read music. I, I mean, the man's been dead for a long time. And it's been a long time since I was in sixth grade. And he said, Boyd, my maiden name was Boyd, I don't care how good you can play the, the piano. If you don't learn to read music, I'm going to give you an F. Well, for someone as acceptance-based and performance-based as me, that great big F was enough to get me in motion. And I remember 
there are four kids in our family, and after school it was just kind of no, noisy. And I went out and sat in my mother's car, and I talked out loud to myself so my ears could hear what my mouth was saying, that my brain was thinking, and I learned the names of the treble and bass clefs. I had, I had a point that my action needed to change. That happens with us when we decide we're going to get serious. Oh, gosh, that was so bad. I'm sorry I said that. When we take the next step that Jesus is giving us light to, when we, you know at first that says if, you walk, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him in that light. When he gives us light in a new direction, we get the choice to step into it. There's a reason we can do that. We'll talk about the power of that in a little while. We're in a new season of life in our house. A few of you are, but it's called retirement, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> Save your money, because it's true that after you stop working, you don't get a paycheck. I guess I thought that was kind of just somebody else's experience. But my schedule, which was pretty predictable for a long time, has been interrupted. And we make lots of trips to Lowe's and Home Depot. Um, And funniest thing, you know, I'm getting older, so it takes me longer to do things. And, yeah, Buzz and I are in a new season of life. But you know what? Every one of us are in a season. Every one of us are in a season. And it is really easy to say I can or cannot do thus and such because of the season that I'm in. The problem with that is that when we were born again, the Spirit of God came to indwell our new heart, which is holy. Otherwise, he could not live there. So he's indwelling our holy, holy heart And he is the one who empowers us to live. It is he who works in us. So the spirit of God, the spirit of God is the one who empowers me to endure, Bonnie, to be strengthened in your inner man, Bonnie, to speak of Jesus in ways that feed all of us, Bonnie, And she's not the only one. Every one of us are in a season that's rich and it's filled with pain and trials. And if you're not there today, don't worry, you will be. Yes, my gifting. The second thing, the Hebrew gathering of local believers were strongly warned to beware of a hardened heart if they heard the voice of God's spirit. Remember the account of the Israelites when Joshua, Caleb, and the other ten spirits, (laughs) spies, came back from scouting out the land. Only Joshua and Caleb gave a good report. God's judgment was the eventual death of an entire generation who could not enter the promised land, a place of rest for Israel. Not even Moses could enter. If you think that sin is not serious to God. Go back and read that. 
it, it broke my heart. And I've read it my whole, as long as I could read. So Joshua was privileged to lead the people across the Jordan River into the land that God had given him. It's interesting and scary to me that the judgment was on an entire generation for unbelief. The thing about an unbelieving heart, and Weist describes this word, don't miss this, as a heart completely devoid of faith. It is an unregenerated heart. It is part of a dead man because before Jesus, we were all dead men walking. We had nothing to bring to the table. We did not have our will that was seeking God to bring to the table. We had nothing. And he made us alive by his spirit. Huge deal. In that place, I believe, okay, I'm taking responsibility for that, that Hebrews 3 is talking about two hearts. It's talking about a regenerated heart, one that is possessed by the Spirit of God, and one that is a completely unbelieving heart and unregenerate heart. We have been promised The Israelites were promised. Think of this. Think of this. They were going to the temple every time. I'd be there every day if I had enough turtle doves or sheep. Because I know when I sin. But you know how I know when I sin? Because the Spirit of God lives in me. So theirs was made out of obedience. But now my confession is out of obedience. I come to Jesus and I agree with him about my sin. My sinning. I wanna, I'm going to differentiate there. About my sinning. My sin has been paid for. But my flesh continues to sin. Ezekiel 36:26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Maybe you saw this in Strong's as you've done yours, but I hadn't seen it before. It's about a new heart. This blows me away. And you know what? Your heart is going to resonate with this when you hear it. We have a new heart, a new inner man. We have a new mind, a new will, a new way of paying attention, bravery, brokenhearted, have and give care, concerned, considerate. We can make decisions differently. We're encouraging. Our imagination has been affected. Our intelligence has been affected. Inspiration, kind, life, merry-hearted. You know what the word blessed means in Psalm? Happy. You can try to make it something else, and you look it up, And it means happy. Now, I know what we say. We're not supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be holy. Psalms is a problem for us because it says happy. It says happy. Merry hearted. I love this. In this place, 
because I live in the world and I'm being conformed into the very likeness of Jesus, I might have unbelief, but an unbelieving heart. That unbelief is revealed and transformed by the Spirit of God. I can do those things, be those things, because the heart that produces them has been planted in me when I am born again, a new creature in Christ. Probably not. That our unbelief as a believer in Christ, that area that I am not believing everything that Jesus says about him is true. Um, is that what, is that it? Is revealed and transformed. I can do those things, be those things, because the heart that produces them ha- and has been planted in, in me it, when I was, because of a new heart that was planted in me when I was born again. Okay. So what happens if I have the courage to look at a thing about Jesus and I say, well, you already know it, but I didn't know it until just now, but I really don't believe that, do I? And I believe if we could see his face, he would just be smiling and looking right in our eyes because it's been his gift to me that he has revealed that to me. That is not an unregenerate heart. That is not an unregenerate heart. That is a born-again heart that is being transformed into the image of God, and he is raising... Who gives us the courage to ask hard questions? God does through his spirit. Why does he do that? Because of his great love for us. If you ever start to get too comfortable with John 3.16, ask God to read it to you again. We can never divide God into sections and make him a God of justice and a God of this and a God of that. And when he, because part of that is his love for us and it is out of love that God says he created, he gave us his son. His love is not sloppy like mine. I can give you a long list of what my love looks like. It is not my heart's desire that I love like that. I can be the biggest flake. That is not love. That isn't even loving. But that comes out of a heart that still is in battle with the flesh, even though the victory is won. You know what James calls that? He calls it, I believe in chapter 2, I was going to look it up and I didn't. He calls it um, huh, double-minded man. A double-minded man, Psalm, Psalms calls it a divided heart. And James says that a double, that, what did I just say? That a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's the truth about me when I am choosing to stay with a double mind. 
and it's that place, usually it's not when I ask Jesus or confess to him that I don't believe a certain thing about that. That's not it. It's when I say, I believe everything that the Bible says is true about the word of God. I believe that everything the word of God says about Jesus is true. Well, no, I don't. And if I did, I would live differently. So he continues wooing us through his love. It's not like mine. It's pure. It's pure. And he woos us into relationship with himself. So, I guess there are two things that I want to say. Marcia, how am I on time? Am I okay? Great. <laughs> Love that. Um, all right. Get ready. I better read it. Um, when we are born again, we cannot lose our salvation. I believe in eternal security, and I believe the Bible teaches eternal security. Jesus said, and by the way, if you are having trouble with something, don't go to a concordance. Get back in the word of God and ask the spirit of God, who is our teacher, to teach you what he thinks about that. It is so, Bonnie, wherever she went, this is, she taught me this. You can Google anything. Do not do that. Do not do that. Get in the word of God and sit with him and allow him to change your way of thinking and align you with his way of thinking. Okay. Jesus said when we believe and are born again, we will never, no, never, no, never be snatched out of his hands. He says our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So who's the warning to? It's to anyone, I believe, who has heard the message of Christ's atoning death, even starting to intellectually understand, but turns away and goes back to the old way of life. In the Hebrew situation, they were considering maybe all some had already gone to go back to temple worship and temporary animal sacrifice. I would love to say that wouldn't be me. But you know what I was thinking about when I was coming up here this morning? You guys have a mosque right over here on off of 19th and Northern, right over there. And if that mosque is like all other mosques that I've ever heard of, they have a call to prayer, which sounds like, to me, sounds like a scratchy record. I thought I would not be called to that. Anyway, that goes on six times a day. If this community was in Jerusalem, there were sounds and sights and smells and movement of habit throughout a lifetime. And then there were those leaders of the Jewish people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You know what? Give those guys a break. They are the ones who protected the law through all the generations from Moses to Malachi. But they didn't have new hearts. They weren't willing to believe. They, they weren't willing to believe. 
that the completion of the law was in their midst. So we see the danger to know and return to another sacrifice, whatever it is, is heresy. It's blasphemous. This is the warning, and it is dire. Jesus told a parable about seed falling to different parts, types of ground. And this is the time, if you haven't looked it up, to get back in that Matthew passage. I think it's maybe Matthew 5 or 6, maybe. And look at it again. Jesus explains it himself. This is one of the big reasons I've stayed away from Hebrews. I don't know what it says, and it makes me uncomfortable with what it might say. But this, to me, is the place that I have peace. Because Jesus said that there will be wheat and tares growing in the same field, that they will be harvested together and the tares would be burned. Okay. This is a pet peeve. So this is what we've learned. I'll tell you what we do not have. We do not have permission to look at somebody else who is not, doesn't look like they are walking with Jesus. I don't live in their home. I don't know. And I pronounce them not saved. Be really, really careful. Be really careful of that. Stay under the submission and the lordship of Jesus. And trust him and pray. And this says, Hebrews 3 says, encourage them. And I want to tell you what that word. Oh, but I do have one other thing. You know what? I don't think I do. Encourage one another while it's still day. The word does not mean rub your back and make you feel good. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to tell you. Is it okay? It's okay. It's okay. It it doesn't mean that I need to make you feel better about the circumstances you're in. That is pretty easy to do. This word means exhort. Call out loud. To utter in a loud voice. Call urgently. Beseech, entreat, beg, exhort. And what is the encouragement? Do not harden your heart. Beware of the deceitful and trickery of sin that can harden your heart. What hardens hearts today? Turning away from the revealed truth of God regarding his son Jesus and returning to a previous way of life. It's called apostasy. Leaving the truth to return to an old, comfortable way. So, this is for us. Who are the people in your life who can tell you hard things? Who are the spiritual friends you trust to be honest? How are you at speaking the truth in love? Does kindness ever supersede trust? Does kindness ever negate trust? Why the warnings? Because only those who have followed Jesus 
through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and his blood can enter the eternal rest God promised centuries ago. When we are born again, we enter into the living kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now, and it is someday, and it was before my now. We have the privilege and opportunity to experience Sabbath rest, which is at the very end of the chapter. Rest was alluded to earlier, but Sabbath rest is talked about, and then we enter into it pretty fully in chapter 4, and that's in two weeks. So, next week is going to be an amazing new exercise called soul care. I hope none of us will see it as an opportunity to take the day off. Come. It's going to, there's going to be time for you to sit with Jesus and be a listener and a learner. And a place for that is going to be provided for us. People are planning that now. Marcia asked um, ask us who were teaching to choose someone who would be our spotter, sort of. And Lucy Helmrich has been mine and this week, and I, have, uh, I trust this woman. I see God's handprint all over her. And she's going to talk to us a little bit today about what she's learning about the, the rest that Jesus gives. And then there will be a song, and uh, we'll be all done.